0: For the rest of us, would you please turn in your Bibles to First John and chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be actually beginning reading from verse 10 because verse 10 works into verse 11, so it, it makes sense in how we read the Bible to do that. So please turn with me to First John chapter 3 and verse 10, and when you have found it, please would you stand in honor of the sufficient, inerrant, inspired, infallible, pure living word of our living God. The gospel is what draws us together, and the gospel is found in the pages of Scripture. So this is what brings us unity. This is what we're all about here at Fifth Avenue. And I remind you that as I read these words, it's like hearing the voice of our living God. First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know
1: that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that before this moment has come, that we have been
0: preparing our hearts and minds to receive from you. And Father, if we haven't then in your mercy, would you make us ready to hear from you this morning?
1: Father, would your
0: word so impact upon us that we have a response of being humble before you and also
1: praising your holy name. May your word hit us and hit us hard by the work of your spirit, we pray. May we understand it in our minds, believe it in our hearts, and not leave it as dead, and not let let it be snatched away from the devil, but be living in us so that it may be lived out in our lives, so that we might enjoy seeing your glory. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat.
0: Please make sure that you have that passage open in front of you. If you haven't got a Bible with you, then you can pick up one of the church pew Bibles and turn to page uh, 1035. The Beatles famously sang the song, All You Need Is Love. It's an adage that has uh, gone on and around in human culture since the the beginning of mankind. The question that is essential for asking this passage, though, is, is what is love? What is love? This week at the the meal table, I asked my family, what is love? And there were a variety of answers that came back. Uh, One of my children said, it's something you feel. One of them said, it's it's what you do. Uh, And my wife, who is the sharpest theological uh, person in our household, said, it is God. God is love. And therefore, love is unchanging because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then, Then love is unchanging. And as I looked around, it was obvious that everybody was expressing a a form of love in the way that they appreciate love being given to them. There have been people over the the course of the last few years who have been talking about this thing called love languages. I don't know if you've heard about it, but how people express and like to receive love. Some people like to to receive love through being spent time together and just uh, face to face, just giving time to somebody. That's how they feel and want to, to give and receive love. That's the action of love for them. It's how my wife works. She loves it when I, I just spend time and just be. That's her phrase, just be. We like to do it over a cup of tea. Uh, that's more her than me now, which is surprising considering I'm English and she's American. But the, the other forms of love is, is Hannah. Hannah loves to just touch and hold on and cuddle. She's, a, she's, a, she's somebody that gives and receives love just by, by physical touch. But it's an action again. My son Malachi, and he's like me, it's the action of love for him and for me, it's words of affirmation, it's words of encouragement, it's words of you're doing right, keep going, keep, keep moving on. For some people, the action of love is giving and receiving gifts. It doesn't matter how small or big they are, it's, it's just giving something as a gift and receiving a gift of something. For some people, it's serving and being served. And this is how my daughter, Caitlin, she's precious. She loves to serve and she loves to give in service. She always wants to help. And I guarantee you that whatever she does when she grows up, one, she's going to be a fantastic wife with that character. And two, I think she's probably going to be a nurse or a doctor or something where she loves to serve other people. But the thing that joins all of those things together and and gets into our passage this morning is that that love is always a a passionate verb. Love is always an action if it's to be true love. And that's how we get to understanding what our passage is all about today, that love comes out in action. The Bible tells us this. It says in terms of expressing what love is as a passionate verb, in, in terms of saying we know that that Christ, that what love is, because whilst we are still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was an action of love that was the uh, uh, antithesis of, of, of what love is, love being in action. God tells us in his word again and again that the greatest commandment, uh, and Jesus summed this up in the New Testament, that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your being and then love your neighbor. And, and the Bible tells us, as, uh, as Stacy said when we were sitting around the table, that, that God is love. And Corinthians tells us that three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what, 5th Avenue? It's love. Love characterizes us as Christians. Love is, is getting to the heart of the gospel message. And so we need to understand that to be a Christian is to have love just flowing through us and flowing out of us. I'm so glad that we sang this morning how deep the Father's love for us, because last week's passage and this week's passage connect together, because it's part of God's word working through this letter of First John, to understand that last week's passage was, "Receive the lavishing love of the Father." And then live as a Christian by that love being poured out of you, uh, not because you've earned it, not because uh, you're any better than anybody else, but because you've just received the love from the Father and you've accepted it into your heart and you're living it out in your life. And so love is a passion and, and that's, that's what we need to understand, that this, this passage that we're looking at this morning flows out of that, of, of, of seeing how do we know that we are Christian? How do we know that we, we are trusting in Jesus Christ? And there are two things we're going to look at. One is knowing that you're trusting in Christ and secondly that in trusting there's love flowing out of you, love from the Father. And so when we think about this, we need to see how church history has wrestled with these two issues because there have been times in church history where people ha- have thought in order to be a Christian, I have to work and obey and obey and obey and be good enough for God. That y- you have to do to be a Christian. But the... That is not what the gospel is all about. And there is a danger in that. Because if we think that, then what we do is we take things and we say, I'm a Christian if I believe in Jesus, but do this too. Or I don't do this. Like, I'm a Christian if I, I get baptized, or I'm a Christian if I don't drink, or I'm a Christian if I wear this clothes or don't wear these clothes, or I'm a Christian if, 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 I, if I don't uh, smoke tobacco, uh, or if I, if I don't chew tobacco, or if I don't go with girls that chew tobacco, or if I don't do this. And you start adding all these things to, to what is a, a, a Christian, and that's not in the Scriptures. We looked at a few weeks ago on the Wednesday night of the Reformation of where Martin Luther in the 16th century came to the point of saying, I can never be good enough for God. I can never work hard enough for God. And that's what the scripture teaches is that we can never get to the point where we are righteous or holy or our acts are good enough for God to say, now I accept you. Because the Bible tells us even in our best attempts, they're just like filthy rags. They're like a soiled diaper. And so the, 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 there is the understanding that we are saved by faith, which came out of that point of, of church history and was re-emphasized in that point of church history, that we're saved by faith in Christ alone. But then there is that other danger and other parts of church history where it swings in the other direction, where people say, well, all I need to do then to be a Christian is just say a prayer and, and I just need to, 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 to say I trust in Jesus alone for my salvation, but never have my life changed. And what happens if if we fall into that being the gospel is that Jesus then becomes like this magic password. But the life of the Christian never changes whatsoever. The Christian then thinks, I can live just as simply afterwards as I did before when I prayed that prayer. And so to understand the heart of this morning's passage is to understand that the Christian is the one who changed by the gospel by trusting in Jesus Christ But the ongoing life of the Christian is living with the love of God being poured out in action. In other words, having accepted the lavish love of the Father, we therefore obey. Not we obey to gain the lavishing love of the Father. Do you see the difference in that? It's huge that we get hold of this. False religion is thinking that we need to obey so that we might be accepted by God and be loved by God. But that is not the gospel The gospel is, I am loved by the Father, therefore I obey and do what he asks me to do. False religion is saying, I obey, therefore I am loved. And some of you here this morning, you need to grasp hold of this, because you've never understood this in your soul before. You've heard the words, but your soul has never understood. That we are loved by God first, and because we have received and had that love pour into us, we then go out and uh, 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 live out his words. We don't obey so that we may be loved. We are loved, therefore we obey. And if we don't get this, if we don't get the gospel the right way around, then we will get crushed underneath the expectations of never being holy enough or good enough for what God's glorious and holy standard requires. If we don't get this, then we'll go on in our prayer lives thinking that God is just somebody who we go to to get things, that he is just some kind of magic genie that we rub a lamp for and ask for wealth, health, and prosperity, and we just even think of salvation as a consumer product that just gets us from this life into heaven in the next. if we don 't get the gospel, then what we 'll do is we 'll start keeping school with God, and our thinking will become utterly corrupted, and thinking, God, because i don 't drink, because i don 't cast, because i don 't chew, or go with girls that do God, you now need to answer my prayers god, i 've been good, so now you need to, to give me what I want in my heart in the answer to prayers. But the problem with that is that it's utterly adulterous. It's saying, I'm disfaithful to God, and I worship, and I love, and I idolize myself. And what happens for that kind of Christian that doesn't understand the gospel is that the way that they get through life as a Christian is through emotional highs and lows of of musical experience or, or happy and sad illustrations and stories and sermons. And so faith becomes fake. And it becomes, this needs to take me to a place where I feel good. Or this na- needs to take me to a place where I feel sad, but feel, feel good again. And what happens at that point, if we don't understand the gospel and we think the gospel is about obeying, is that it stops being about Jesus Christ. It stops being about loving and adoring Jesus Christ. I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of you, but it's not the gospel when we start living that way. The gospel is God. The gospel is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The gospel is, God, I get to know you personally because of the love you poured out in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel is, Father in heaven, you love me despite the fact that I can do nothing for you. The gospel is, uh, God, you have loved me against everything that I've done that has been against you. You've poured out your amazing love into me despite I've never done anything for it. I've never deserved it. And all I deserve is your wrath. The gospel is accepting God for who he is and accepting the love that he is giving us in Jesus Christ. And what happens is when we understand the gospel in that way, when we understand the love that is in the gospel in that way, prayer then stops being a shopping list and starts being a time of, God, I want to come to you in prayer because I want to adore you because of the love you've given me. Prayer then becomes a thankfulness for everything that God has done in your life, from the biggest things to the smallest things. Prayer then becomes this most ultimate joyful experience of when our hearts praise him and are humbled by him because of his fatherly love for us in other words prayer becomes god focused and not man focused prayer becomes all about him and not all about me And that's why so much of the Bible talks about prayer as being a response of thanksgiving, as being a a time of joy. That's what Philippians says that we looked at last week of of, of present your petitions to God with with praise and thankfulness and God giving us a joy when we do that. Because the gospel then is a focus on God's love to us even though we didn't deserve it. See, if we get this, if we get that the Father loved us first, it will radically change the way we pray It will radically change what we do in our actions, and our souls will thirst for God. I don't know, asking yourself the question, does your soul thirst for God, 5th Avenue? Does your soul uh, just utterly demand and, and want to be with God in his word and want to be with God in prayer? Are you like a man who is in the desert dying of thirst? Is that how much you want to hear from the Father as we come and open up his words? Does your soul thirst for God so much that when it comes to praying, you can't get enough of it because it makes you understand that God first loved you and you return to him words of thanksgiving and praise because of his love. Are we like that? For some of us, we need to understand that that what is going on in our lives is there is an unbalance of of being unsure about God because we don't like this understanding that God has done it all, that grace is, is ever completing in saving us. And we want to be working to be good enough for God. And to say that that's not the way around it needs to be, that it's God that he first loved us. For some of us, that makes us feel incredibly uncomfortable. But what we need to do is, as we drive into this passage this morning, it is asking two questions. How do I know I'm a Christian? And the Bible's answer to that is because I trust in Jesus Christ. I trust in Jesus Christ with everything I am. It's, it's the whole thing of what Martin Luther did with being saved by faith alone, for the glory of God alone, understood in Scripture alone, and, and, and all of the solos that came out of the Reformation. But then the second question comes along. How do I know that I'm trusting in Jesus Christ? And that is answered because when we look at our lives, there is evidence of His love pouring into us, changing us, and then being lived out from us. See, that's what what we're getting at in this passage this morning. That we are asking God, God, please, would you help us to understand that when your love is poured into us, when we trust in Christ, the way that I know that I'm trusting in Christ for my salvation is when it comes out of me in actions, because you have first loved me, because I have understood the gospel. Have a look at verse 23 with me in this passage. I know that was a long introduction. We are going to get into the passage, I promise. Verse 23. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Do you see that balance in there? How do I know I'm a Christian? Because I believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. How do I know that I'm trusting in Jesus Christ? Because I love my brothers and sisters in Christ and I obey God's commandments. See, to be confident that we have true living faith, these two pieces of the puzzle are parallel and they
1: go together.
0: That true faith is saying, firstly, I believe in Jesus Christ for my salvation and Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. But then secondly, as I live that out, that I will love my brother and sister in Christ. I will love the people that God has put around me. And so as we go through, I want us to see how that, that is broken down in this passage. See, the first thing that he does in this passage in verses 11 to 15 is to show us of what it means not to be a Christian, a life of hate, a life of being a child of the devil. Have a look with me at verses 11 to 15. He's carrying on from verse 10 of, of the children of the devil are the ones who do not love the brothers and sisters in Christ and do not practice righteousness. And he's reminding us of the message that we've heard from the beginning, that if you're a Christian, you should love one another. But then he shows you how to distinguish which DNA, which father is yours. Are you a child of the devil or are you a child of, uh, of the father in heaven? And he says, if you're a child who's living out a life of hate, then you're a child of the devil. Now, when I say those words, a child of the devil, I, I'm not talking about something that you'll see in the horror section of, 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 the, of the movies. This is somebody who simply is despising God being in charge, somebody who's despising Jesus being king. And we see how that works out in the extremes in verse 12. We see John referring to this story, have a look in verse 12 with me, of the story of Cain and Abel. How Cain hated Abel because Abel loved God and God's love was poured into him. And then God's love came out of Abel in action. See, this is the first time ever in human history when a man is killed by another man. It's the first time when one man says, I hate you so much and I ha- because I hate the image of God in you so much that I want to destroy you and get you out of the way. And the first man to be destroyed like that was a man who loved God with all his being. It sets the pattern in God's creation order for the way things are to come. If we love God, then what should be in us is Jesus Christ. And the world is going to hate us because it doesn't like seeing Jesus Christ. See, the reason the world hates the Christian or hates the godly man is because it hates the God in the man. It doesn't like when the Father's love is poured into a person and then comes out of a person in action. The reason it hates is because when you see God in somebody else, what it requires of that person when it sees the love of God being poured out is a humility to recognize a need for repentance and to say, God, you're in charge, not me. That is why Cain hated Abel. Cain hated Abel because he saw in Abel a man who was saying, God is in charge, God's love is being poured into me, and now in my actions of my offerings it's being poured out of me in what I do. And Cain couldn't stand that. He couldn't stand the thought of somebody being in charge of him. He couldn't stand seeing the image of God in his brother. He couldn't stand seeing the love of God flowing out of his brother. And that's what hate does. It's saying I don't want there to be a higher authority of God and I don't want to see that being challenged in my face by other people's actions being seen in front of my face of them saying they're answerable to God. See, the, the world thinks and calls uh, that kind of mindset freedom or free will. But I call it foolishness or stupidity when you think like that. To ignore your creator, to ignore the one who has designed you, to, to, to ignore the one who knows the best way for you to live. To ignore the one who gives you every single breath. To ignore the one who James says is the giver of every good gift. To turn around and say to God, no thank you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be living for you. That for me, when you think about it in that way, is utter foolishness. But that is the heart of hatred. Is to say, get out of my way. Leave me alone. And when people do that, it's like saying to a doctor who can save your life, go away, I want nothing to do with you. That would just be an utterly ridiculous choice, wouldn't it? If you were in the ER in Floyd Hospital and you had a gashing wound and you were dying on the table and you said to the doctor, I want nothing to do with you. I want to be left to die. That is what everybody who is a child of the devil is doing. And they're not necessarily manifesting itself in absolute huge angers of hatred. Understand this. Hatred is when we say, I don't want to know God and I don't want anything to get in the way of me being in charge. See, some of you might be sitting there right now and thinking, I'm a Christian, but the world doesn't hate me. Perhaps the reason why, the question that we need to ask is, is it because the world is not seeing Jesus in you? Is that why the world does not hate you? Because it doesn't see Jesus in you? Does Does it see Jesus in me? When I look at my life and think about that, I ask the question, what marks me out from the lost and dying world around me? What makes me different as a Christian? Because what should make me different as a Christian should be so radical that the world looks at me and says, I don't know who you are. You're a stranger. That's what the beginning of chapter three tells us. It should be so different that the world hates me because it doesn't want to acknowledge that Jesus is real. It doesn't want to acknowledge that Jesus should be our king. And so hatred forms and flows out of of wanting there to be nobody saying, you need to give your life to a higher authority, which is to God in heaven. And that's what verse 13 and 14 is talking about. Have a look at verse 13 and 14 with me. It's talking about Christians. Because we know and trust Jesus, we are moved out of death. We are literally grabbed hold of the one who can save us and give us life and is saying, I'm not going to let you go. And that is not a weakness, brothers and sisters. It's the smartest, wisest thing to do, to be grabbed hold of by the love of God and stay there and allow that love to be poured into you and then lived out in your life it's not a crutch that means that this is the way that you cope with life this is saying this is the way life is supposed to be lived a christian is to be strong in living up to the challenge of what the creator calls us to be which is to be under him the cowardly thing to do is to be like adam in the garden of eden of when he he sought a weaker and more cowardly way by hiding from God. And that's exactly what happens in the story of Cain and Abel, isn't it? In Genesis, God comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother? Not because God didn't know the answer, but because God was saying, Cain, this is your opportunity to step up to the plate, be strong and make yourself accountable to me. Make yourself aware that you know that you're not in charge, but I'm in charge. That you need to admit what you've done wrong. But rather than doing that, by, rather than having that strength, Uh, Cain just is weak and he says back to God like a snake trying to slip away from a situation. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's an amazing answer because the answer in the passage in Genesis and here is yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper as much as he was your keeper. And that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. When we recognize that we're made in the image of God, we understand that I am to love you and you are to love me because we are each other's keeper. And it's fascinating when you look at this passage, but in the original language, it reads as Abel being a brother of Cain and Cain being a brother of Abel. In other words, there's a sense of possession and ownership in their brotherhood. And people express that similar idea today when they use the words of of saying something like, I claim him as my own or I claim that person as being akin to me. And what John is saying is that Cain should have claimed Abel as his own, but he didn't. Such was the, the hatred and evil inside of him and such was the love of God inside Abel that Cain no longer claimed Abel as to be part of his own. He said, this is someone I hated. He hates is wanting somebody out of your way. Physically like this with murder, but it also can be taken to, to other areas of when we just ignore somebody. That is hatred in your heart. When you say, get out of my way, I don't want to see you, I don't want to know you, and we just ignore them, that is hatred. And the Bible tells us that both is murder. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when he was challenging the Pharisees, he asked them the question, do you know of the commandment of do not murder? And he, he pushes them and he says, do you know that when you have anger in your heart or when you insult somebody, when you hate somebody to the point of anger, that is murder too. And so you and I are just as murderous as Cain is if we have anger and hatred in our heart towards our brothers and sisters. You and I are just as murderous when we insult people and cut people t- down with this vicious muscle called the tongue in our bodies. That is hatred. And so the DNA of the one who is of the devil is the one who goes around saying, I hate, a- and has hatred coming out in the expressions of a- action. See, that's what verse 15, the end of 14 and 15, is getting at. Whoever does not love abides in death. In other words, if love is not permeating out of you, if love is not coming out of you in actions, in the way that you deal with other people, John is saying, you need to ask yourself the question, are you really a Christian? Because his answer is no. You're abiding in death, not life. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And no one who is a murderer will enter into eternal life, is what he's saying. He's not saying that somebody who's physically committed murder can never be forgiven of that sin. He's saying, what is in your heart? Is your heart hating other people? Is your heart so angry towards other people that you want to ignore them? Or physically worse, you have thoughts of how you'd like to see them be harmed. If that's what's going on, then you are not trusting in Christ. Because the love of God is not pouring into you and and therefore pouring out of you in love. And so we need to move on to to these next few verses in, in 16 and 18 of seeing what a child of God is like. A child of the devil is one who hates, who insults, who does not want to see uh, and be loving towards other people. But the, the, the child of God in verses 16 to 18 is the child who loves love. A child who loves the love of God and wants to express that out. You see, it kills me as a pastor. It kills me as a pastor when I hear the words of love and care and prayer, but never any actions followed up behind them. You cannot say you love somebody in the church. You cannot say you love the church and then be passive. That is not love. Love is to care for the body. Love is to be seen in action. Love is a passionate verb that works itself out from the love of God being poured into us, out into our lives, into actions. So don't ever say that you love something or you love someone unless you back it up with passionate action. Otherwise, you lie when you say you love. I mean, this comes with great pain for a lot of us because we've grown up in relationships where people told us they loved us, but we never saw it in action. It was just empty, dead words. I don't know about you, but when I think about the people who love me the most, I think about what they've done. I think about their actions. I think about them spending time. I think about them doing works of service. I think about the gifts that they gave. I think about how they wanted to be affectionate. I think about how they used their tongue and used words. Those are the people who love. I'd rather take people that do all of those things and never actually say the words, I love you, than taking somebody who says the words, I love, and never sing in any action whatsoever. Love is a passionate verb. And we see that ultimately expressed in verse 16. Have a look at verse 16 with me. It's expressed in Jesus Christ in the gospel. By this we know love. This is John saying, if you want to know you're a child of God, if you want to know what it means to live a love of life, to, to, to see that you're trusting in Jesus Christ, then look to Jesus. By this we know love, that he lay down his life for us. And then he puts it into the natural implication of a life living out the love of God, which is this, the end of verse 16. You and I should be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I mean, that's what Paul is talking about when he gets into Ephesians. And he talks about the, there being the picture of God and the church and a husband and a wife. Because he says of the husband, if you're going to be a truly godly Christian husband, what you're then going to do is going to lay down your life for your wife. It's going to mean nothing to you to sacrifice everything because of your love for your wife. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. We know there's love. We know that this unconditional, sacrificial love is seen in Jesus Christ. That whilst we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he's saying, if you're trusting in that, if you're trusting in that love from Jesus Christ, then what should flow out of you is a desire to be willing to do absolutely the same thing for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's extreme. That's radical. That's different from where my life is. Is it different from where your life is? It is, because I don't see it. Our lives are going to be so radically different when we grab hold of this and this love is infused within us and comes out of us. See, this word for love that goes all the way through this passage is the biblical word of agape. It's a love of of not talking about the the, the physical love or or the brotherly love, but a love that is coming out in action. Some people call the Lord's Supper the agape meal because of it being such a symbolism of Christ's action, showing us His love. And what we see here, if we're a child of God, this is what we will do. Verse 17 and 18. We will express our love for one another in actions. And it says there, a a very practical verse. If you have the, the goods of this world, if you see your brother or your sister in need, but yet close your hearts, but not want to have any compassion, not want to do any action, but be lazy and say, leave me alone. I don't want to do anything then it's saying your love, God's love is not abiding in you. This is how we know that God's love is abiding in us, verse 18. That we are to be little children receiving the love from our Father, and we don't just say we love, but we act it out. It comes out of us in deed and in truth. Brothers and sisters, what an amazing picture of what church is to be like that we don't just say we love God with our lips and we we come to church on Sunday and sing songs, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, and we read John's uh, uh, letter here about God's love for us, but then it never has anything in action. John is telling us if that's the case, then we are dead. We are not children of the living God. We know that we are children of the living God when that love comes into us and then flows out of us in action. See, I've known this love in this church in the sense of uh, there is somebody in this church who very kindly and, and graciously gives me a car to use. He saw that I had a need, and he says, here, here is a car to use. And him and his family pay for me to be able to use that and pay for the insurance and all the o- other things. That is an action of love being expressed. He saw his brother in need, and he met it. Now, each one of us here can do that for each other. But we need to be asking the questions, and we need to be in such close fellowship that we ask each other, brother, what do you need? Sister, what do you need? How can I love you? How can I pray for you? How can I change that word and show that prayer is real by giving it to you in action? See, each of us here have very messy lives. Is your life messy? My life is incredibly messy. And I'm not just talking about the two tornadoes that came through last year. I'm talking about just life. It means that we help one another in action. It means when, for those who are homebound, we don't just say, we love you, we're praying for you. We follow it through by going and spending an hour sitting and talking with them. It means when somebody is struggling with looking after their children, we say, hey, can I come over and help you for an hour? Can I come and do some things for you? Can I, can I love you in that way? We need to understand that action of love is radical. It, 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 it's unconditional too. Because when we do this in the same way that God loved us, we don't do it with a motivation of, well, I hope to make them a little bit more like me or I hope to make them a little bit nicer. Because that's not the point. We do it because of God's love. We do it not because of how they'll respond, not because of how grateful they'll be, but because God's love is in us and he loved us in Christ and therefore we want to love other people no matter what their response is. And that issue is so crucial when it comes to evangelism too. Let me just take this rabbit trail just for a second. I'll come back, I promise. That when we do evangelism, we don't do it until the point of which we don't think we're going to get any further and drop that relationship and don't love that person anymore. Some Christians get this thing in their head where they think evangelism is loving a person, loving a person, loving a person, and if they don't seem to respond to the gospel, I'll just drop them and start loving somebody else and build a relationship with loving else. I want to tell you that that is utterly ungodly. If you want to love somebody, love them through till their dying day or your dying day. Don't love somebody in hope of a response, because that, again, is against the gospel. Jesus Christ didn't love us in a hope of of a response. He loved us because he wanted to, because it was free, it was gracious, it was unconditional. And that should be our love for one another. And then what that takes us to is getting into the last part of our passage this morning, is understanding that when we have the foundation of Jesus Christ, of that changing our life, when that is the reason that we love other people, because he first loved us and that comes out of us in action, it leads us to being assured of our salvation. Have a look at verse 19 with me. But this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. If you are doubting your Christian faith, then let these words come of words of comfort to you in this this last section of living a life of love and that being assurance to us. In these verses, John is saying, Your heart will naturally, because it is sinful, condemn you. Brother Chip and I want to do a a Hallmark line of cards where you take all of these verses in the Bible that talk about the corruption and the deceitfulness of the heart and just put them on pretty Valentine's cards but then have these verses on the inside like, your heart is deceitful above all things or out of the heart comes the the, the murderous thoughts. We'd love to do just a series of Hallmark cards like that just to shock people into how uh, deep the the, the human heart is. But that's what John is telling us here. That our own hearts, if we trust in what our hearts are like without any reference to God, then our hearts, because they are naturally sinful, will condemn us. Uh, But he says, take comfort that your God that you love and you worship is greater than your heart. That God is pure in his understanding and evaluation of your faith and your salvation. God is greater than that because he knows everything. Our hearts are sinful, and when we look to our hearts to look to to how sure we are of our salvation, they will condemn us, which is not necessarily a bad thing, because when it drives us to saying, I want to trust in Jesus more, I want to trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross more, I want to accept more of God's love more, so then it comes out in my life into action, that is not a bad thing. But understand that if we're going to be assured of our salvation, we need to carry on with verse 20 and see where this goes to that we need to understand that God is greater than our hearts because he knows everything, and our heart uh, does not condemn us because we have confidence in God. In other words, separate out your emotions and your feelings and just ask this simple question. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you confident in the words that are there in Scripture? Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? Then be assured you are saved. Be assured that you are a child of God. Be assured that when that happens, and then it flows out of you in actions of wanting to love your brother and sister in Christ, and when you want to obey the words of God, know that you have confidence to understand you're a living child of God. See, this is huge for us to apply to us, that we understand that we are assured as Christians, because when we ask the question, what is a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? Because I trust in Jesus Christ. And then the doubt comes in. But how do I know I'm trusting in Jesus Christ? Which is what the heart will get you to do. The heart will be deceitful and you'll say, are you really trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you really trusting in him? The way to answer that question when your heart asks it is, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. And the reason I know that's true, the reason I know I'm a child of God, is because the Father's love is being poured into me and then poured out of me in action. And I want to do it and I want to obey his commands. That's what verse 22 and 23 is telling us. That when we have received the the love from God, what comes out of us is a desire, a pleasing desire to do what God has called us to do in his word. And it's summed up again in verse 23 where we started off this morning. That combination of, if I'm a Christian, I trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation and I trust in that alone to save me. But now that I know the love of God, now that God's, the Father's love has been lavished and poured out into me, I know that I'm living out this trust in Jesus Christ because what's coming out of me is an obedience to his commandments and a love for my brother and sister in Christ. That's what verse 24 is getting to. That's the conclusion of this passage. Whoever keeps his commands is abiding in God. That abiding, that living, that loving relationship in God's love pouring into us. And then we know that we are, are, are living and abiding in him because we're constantly saying, Jesus, pour your love into me. Jesus, keep driving me deeper and trusting in you. And we know that that's happening when what comes out of us is that he is abiding in us and by his spirit we're living out his commandments and loving one another. This is an awesome picture of how we grow and mature as a church. When we say, I want to be driven in deeper, Jesus, Jesus, I pray and I ask, and which is what that section of prayer is talking about. I ask that I may know you better and trust you better. That is the prayer that God will answer for you. That is the prayer that you can have confidence that when you ask that of Jesus Christ, he will give it to you. God is not going to be slow in answering that prayer when you say, Jesus, I want to trust you more. I want to know that I'm trusting you more. And God, let me receive your love so that it may flow out of me. God is not going to say no to that prayer. Do you believe that, Fifth Avenue? God is not going to say no to that prayer. So as we summarize and, uh, and apply this to us, there's, there's, there's one thing we need to do massively, which is to keep on praying, Jesus, drive me deeper, deeper into trusting you. Drive me deeper into knowing that I'm a Christian because I trust in you alone for my salvation. And then carrying that prayer out. Father, let your love be poured into me so that it may be poured out of me in actions of obeying your commandments and loving my brother and sister in Christ. When this happens, Fifth Avenue, what we do then is we look at each other, no matter how somebody else treats us, no matter what somebody else's personality is. But we look upon that person with love and not hatred. We look upon that person and we want to give them words of love. We want to give them actions of service. We want to give them gifts. We want to give them time. We want to give them words of affirmation because God's love is pouring into us and then pouring out from us. As we apply this passage to us as a church as we go on, the main thing I want us to do is to be asking the question, am I trusting in Jesus Christ and is that love of God flowing out of me into actions for my brothers and sisters? the way that you can practically apply this is by going around and building relationships with other people in Fifth Avenue. Saying, what can I pray for you? And then following that up, not just with those empty words that so many of us have when we lie as Christians and say, I'm praying for you, and really we're not, but really pray for the person and then follow it up by showing that that is a burden on our heart by saying, what can I do for you? If we serve one another in this way, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, when the disciples love one another, The world knew that who they belonged to. If we love one another like this, Fifth Avenue, we are going to be like a beacon that is just burning in Rome, Georgia. When we love Todd and we pray for Todd and we send him out there and say, We're loving you, we're caring for you, we want to do actions for you. That is going to send him out with a gospel that he believes in and shares it with the people that he's out there with. When we do that, we are going to draw people into saying, I don't recognize this, this is not of the world. What is this? And we say, This is Jesus. This is the gospel. It's not about us obeying to be loved by God, but we obey because God first loved us. We need to break the mold of our prayer life being about a shopping list, but now becoming an adoration because God first loved us and because of it being a thankfulness of that. Let's pray together that we'll do that. I want us just for a few seconds just to pray that prayer, a simple prayer. Jesus, help me to trust you more and then help me to live your love out in my life. Let's just
1: stop for a moment and let's just pray that silently in our hearts. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Father, may we write this verse across our minds, our hearts, our wrists, our heads, our doorposts. Father, may this become a living reality, that because you first loved us, we now live and love for you. Father, change us so that we may be radically different. Change us so that we may love one another with an unconditional, compassionate love of action. Father, may we understand that love is a passionate verb because we see that in Jesus and the cross. Father, if there is anybody here this morning that has been living to be good enough for you, Father, I pray that this morning by your Spirit you'd have helped, you'd have given them the gospel to understand that it is because you first loved them and it's only through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Father, would you draw them this morning by your spirit? Father, would you cause them to pray and give their life to you? Father, for when we've had hatred for one another, in our words, in our actions, our thoughts, forgive us. May we repent of that as a church. Father, help us to know that we are children of God because we've trusted in you, we've received your love, and your love pours out of us. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Chip,